All right. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35, says this. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, but he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his, at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen an angel. They had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Well, some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, the body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, "You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the pro- all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly?" predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Oh, stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. Then they said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples with the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Lord Jesus, Yahweh, we thank you so much for bringing us together to read your word here this morning and to hear the words, God, as you spoke to this, these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And God, the goodness of this passage, that you are with us even in our times of discouragements and disappointments. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to us. God, that you would open up our, our eyes as you opened up theirs. Open up our minds, surprise us by joy here this morning, that we may see and perceive all the things that you want us to experience here this morning from your word. And Lord, how to live them out into, the, into our everyday lives, that we may encounter you as these disciples did on the road to Emmaus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Anyone ever get disappointed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ever have you know, disappointments in life? Right? 
Well, okay, so, so man camp was last weekend and it was awesome. It exceeded all my expectations in so many different ways. But it's interesting how like even at the retreat and God was doing all these amazing things throughout the whole retreat, there were still some guys that were grumbling about how few people were there. And I'm like, what? This retreat has been so good. Why do you have to dampen it with that, that kind of stuff, with that kind of thinking? Disappointments in the faith community often you seem to kind of rally around numbers. We see numbers as like, oh, now I can be satisfied because we have enough, right? Or we have more than I was anticipating. Or there's more people, therefore we'll be more effective. More numbers equals greater impact or equals effective, right? So at a pastor's conference, I hear all the time, oh, how many people are in your, are in your church? Well, how many people you got gathering? Or some form of fashion of that, that direction. And so it can be either encouraging, like, oh, yeah, we've been having this and that. Or it can be like, Oh, discouragement, you know. Oh, you only had a handful of people there. And, you know, but disappointments in life are, are every, every day. They can be great. They can be small. They can be insignificant. But learning how to deal with them. Like my, teaching my son to learn, learn how to deal with disappointments. Versus like, okay, this is closed. Ah! Like losing his stuff, right? And so, like, so on Wednesday, like, I went and, uh, and took my motorcycle driving test. I passed, so I got my license. Woo! Woo! Now I can, now I just pray I don't die. Uh, <laughs> but when we're, when we're out in Billings, because I had to go all the way to Billings, because there was no, no slots in Bozeman available. So I went all the way to Billings, and I was like, ah, there's Popeyes here. Let's go get a, go get Popeyes for lunch. And we went, and they were closed due to staffing shortages. I was disappointed. I was like, I, I want my Popeyes. I want my blackened ranch, you know, my spicy ranch. But someone ended up going to McDonald's. And then yesterday, we would, we'd go to the barbecue competition over there at Kenny Noble, and there's like one person giving out free samples. Bacon-wrapped Oreos, which are pretty awesome, by the way. I know. I'd never tried them either until then. I was like, oh, I keep hearing about these. I was like, yes. So was, and then it like dumped rain like, for like 20 minutes. But like, no, I was serving a barbecue. I was super disappointed. I was like, ah. I like told the Dunn family, like, we're going to go get free samples. Nothing, right? You know, to all the way, like, even to thinking about disappointments that we have in our church. And why people, you know, some people will leave a church. They're so disappointed because they didn't sing the songs that I wanted to sing. They don't sing the style of music that I like. They don't do this or that. And so I'm disappointed, therefore we're not going to fellowship there. They don't have as good as this kind of fill-in-the-blank ministry as this big church down the, down the road who has more money and more resources. So we're disappointed in the lack of quality here, and we're going to go to the better quality of the programming over here. Think about this. In our families, this is why families break apart. Unmet expectations. Disappointments. Oh, I thought you were going to be different. Our children... Our children might disappoint us, and so we treat them a certain way. Shoot, even all the way down to our pets. <laughs> right? Families fall apart from unmet expectations. I thought my life would be different. FOMO. You ever heard of FOMO? Fear of missing out, right? Really what that's saying is actually not that you're, fear, you're either missing, you're afraid of missing out, of a good experience, but you're more afraid of having a bad experience. But we need to, I think what we can learn from this passage 
is that we need to embrace disappointments as opportunities for faith. I mean, the reality is people are going to let each other down. We're going to let each other down. We're not going to, you know, one ministry is not going to have what this ministry has and all this stuff. Like, you know, life is not going to go our way all the time. In fact, most of the time it's not going to go the way that we expected or wanted sometimes, right? It can become a lot busier. We can get sick. People pass away. People leave town. Missed opportunities. Regrets. What ifs. The question is, where do we go and what do we do with, this, with the disappointments that we experience? Our passage today is about a couple who is suffering great disappointment and dis- disillusionment. They had, I mean, think about this, they had no paradigm for the Messiah dying at all, much less rising from the dead. They were thinking, of course, that, like always, that the Messiah was going to free them from the Romans. They had no paradigm for this. Their interpretation of Scripture did not allow them to see God right in front of them. The same problem that the Pharisees had. Same problem many of God's beloved saints have today. Our interpretation of God, our interpretation of the Bible gets in the way of seeing God. Just like the Exodus from Egypt celebrated through the Passover, Israel had been hoping and praying and waiting for God to liberate them once and for all from pagan domination so they'd be free to serve God in peace and in holiness. I just want to love God. But these pagan people all around me are making it so difficult for me and for us. This is why the crucifixion was so devastating to Jesus' disciples. Jesus was supposed to be conquering the pagans, not being crucified by them. Look at their, look at their, their expressions here. What they said, we had hoped. That's why I use this translation, the NLT, because it uses this, this phrase in a, in a powerful way. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Let's look at this passage. Let's kind of, look, kind of break this down just a bit. Of course, we're not going to cover everything in this passage. This is such a deep and robust passage. We could spend weeks just on this one passage and just dissecting it. But, if, but like all the rest of our time in Luke, we're wanting to get a, a picture, but not necessarily go too much deeper, except you know, for maybe discussions and stuff. But, but I do want to walk through this just a little bit. So two of them. So it names one of them at least, so Cleopas. So this is actually probably the Cleopas from John 19, the Clopas, um, that's married to Mary. There's a Mary involved. So it says, you know, two of them. So this is probably a husband and wife that are walking away from Jerusalem. They were followers of Jesus. They were at the Passover. They were in the garden. They watched him die from a distance. Why were they going to Emmaus? A seven-mile walk, seven miles west of Jerusalem. Why were they running away? The very morning. They even said it in their words. Right? They even said it right here. They said, you know, we saw all these things. We'd hoped then some some women, you know, came of our group followers early this morning. So this was this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And, And Peter went, and sure enough, it was gone. Why are you leaving? 
The women had just come and reported all these things. And still, which is probably you know, why he indicates you know, that they were arguing, because they were probably a married couple. <laughs> they were arguing. They were angry. They were anxious. They were disappointed. They were disillusioned. They were angry at life and the world and what had just happened. They were in distress. They were experiencing a disruption of hope. This man that they had walked with for a few years now was gone. They'd put all their hope. What did he say? We had hoped that this man, that this was the Messiah, he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. It was an emotional time. And they didn't recognize Jesus. They might have been like, oh, this guy kind of looks familiar. But they couldn't. They wouldn't. They were unwilling to allow themselves to hope. It's often difficult to see and experience hope in the midst of pain. When we're right smack in the middle of it, when we just got smacked upside the head with that news or that experience, that health problem, we're even feeling physically bleh. We just don't like life. We don't like people. We want them to go away. We were in a funk. Like I was yesterday. Sorry, Duns. I was funky. I was just exhausted, just drained. I think my body was just like, all right, time to stop. <laughs> Slept for 10 hours last night. Went to bed. Sorry, I could just got your text messages like, you know, late at night. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was already in bed. <laughs> I was disappointed. There you go. I was already in bed and I got like 10 hours of sleep. It was fantastic. But in the midst of it, when we're physically hurting, when we're physically drained, when we're physically in mourning, when we're physically in anxiety anxiety and depression, hatred of the world and those around us, sometimes you just need to go take a drive, get out of town. How do we deal with these times in our own life, but also how do we help others in their time? What Jesus did is he came alongside He pulled up next to them because he knew that it was often difficult to see and experience the hope of Christ in the midst of the pain and and the worry and the frustration and the doubt. Because the next question that we can often ask ourselves, you know, probably this this couple was asking themselves, "Well, what now? Our Messiah, the one who we had hoped for, is gone. Now what?" What now? What, do we, what is our life now? We put all of our hope, we put our identity in this belief in He was the Messiah. Now what? We don't know what step to, you know, what the next step is to take because all we can see, all we can feel is life's current disappointment and fear in front of us. The confusion, the darkness. We had hoped. Remember, that's past tense. What do you do? Where do you go when hope seems lost or out of your grasp? This couple feels let down by Jesus. He told them, 
all of his disciples three times exactly what was going to happen. And after it was, after it happened, he was, he was telling him, go to Galilee, go to Galilee. They're going to Emmaus. It's the opposite direction. They're done. Where do you go when you lose hope? Because think about this. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're all in the upper room. And they're, they're leaving. They're walking away from not just the disciples. They're walking away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where Yahweh's presence was. Jerusalem was where their community with all the other disciples was. They're leaving their entire community behind. The people that they've been walking with for the last few years. They were leaving and walking away from the very place and environment that could and should have given them hope. They were running away from hope. It was easy. It was easy where? It was the easy route. They're in the midst of this of this pain and sorrow. And I think that there, there a lot of times in our church in general, in, in today's culture, has not really done a good job making space for those who we had hoped stories. We humans are uncomfortable with discomfort and suffering. Specifically the sufferings of others. We're uncomfortable with it ourselves and we don't want to burden others with our stuff, right? So we isolate ourselves. We seclude ourselves when the very thing that we need to do is engage with others. But think about this. What, you know, the, the reason why we do that, we, we medicate it. We counsel it. We run from it. We cover it up and sugarcoat it to not feel it or experience it in ourselves or others. But God, but God entered into their distress. But God entered into their hopelessness. But God walked with them. But God spoke to them from His Word to give them understanding and insight and wisdom to come out of the darkness, out of the funk, and into the light. We're not talking about little stories here and there. Jesus spent the the seven mile walk, you know, like going from from beginning to end. We're not talking about like little stories throughout the the whole New Testament and stuff like that. We're talking about, or or, I'm sorry, the Old Testament stuff like Daniel Lions Den and David and Goliath, like all these things. He's spending this entire seven mile walk, going from Genesis to Second Chronicles, which is the end of the Hebrew Bible, in the history. He's he's walking them through all of it and showing them. This is me. It was necessary for the Messiah to come and die and to be raised again to give the hope of the resurrection. This is who the Messiah was supposed to be. And why they should have hope. Who the Messiah really is. Where He really is. And revealing to them the power of the crucifixion and resurrection as the fulfillment of hope. And basically turn, flipping that, that statement that He is the Messiah who came to rescue Israel by His crucifixion and resurrection. 
They thought that it was the defeat of hope by his crucifixion, but really it was the fulfillment of hope was the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And then what happened? They invite him into their, their, into their house when they get there. Hospitality like this, you know, inviting a man um, with whom they've been, you know, uh, having such an animated conversation with, you know, to stay with them and to share a meal with them that night. All this was quite normal. This was traditional Judean hospitality during those times. What is surprising, however, though, is that Jesus takes the lead. He takes the role of the host, not the role of the guest, when he breaks the bread and he blesses it. And boom, they're surprised by joy. They wake up. Their eyes are opened. This is like our faith experience. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's like this. It's like, boom, whoa, yes. I'm alive. I'm now fully alive. Wow, the world looks different. Oh my gosh. Like even my friend Mindy was talking about, I guess she came to faith a little over a year ago and she's like, I see differently. The world looks so, I mean, physically looks different. It's like a, a veil was torn off of my eyes and I see life as it really truly is. And their story can remind us that in the midst of the disruption of hope, that Jesus walks with us. In the midst of confusion and disillusion, Jesus takes us back to His Word and reminds us of who He truly is. In the midst of our anger and frustration, Jesus becomes our peace. As always says in Isaiah, He says this, He said, You will keep the mind, this is Yahweh, You will keep the mind that is dependent on You in perfect peace. For it is trusting in You Trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord Himself is an everlasting rock. I heard this illustration recently of the falling tide. There's this guy out, out uh, trying to fish this, uh, this, this little fishing hole area. And uh, he was not finding, you know, getting a, a thing at all. And every time the tide would go out, he would pull his line out. He's like, all right, all the fish are gone, and so I'm going to pull my line out. And the, there was this guy in a cabin. He came over. He's like, you're not catching anything, are you? He's like, nope. He's like, well, you're doing it wrong. What? You take your, you're taking your line out when the tide goes down. The falling tide runs out. But what that does is it actually stirs up all the plankton and the fish go nuts. That's the time to put in your, your fishing line. So he's, he started doing that. He, he and this old man like threw their fishing line when the, when the tide went out. They were catching them by the tens. They were like, fish after fish after fish. Coming out. So the falling tide of your life looks like you're losing everything. The water is running out. It looks like all the fish are going away. It looks like all the hope is being drained from your life. But that's the time when you throw in your line. Put your line in the water. You can only make one mistake. Not having your line in the water. During these times of frustration and disillusionment and disappointment, throw in your line. Engage in your life. Engage in your faith all the more. Lean on God. Trust in the Lord. The the one whose mind, what does it say? Whose mind is dependent on you in perfect peace. Trust in the Lord 
forever. And what does that look like? It looks like throwing your line in the water. Get your line in the water because that's the most fertile time in your life. The times you feel hope, I'm sorry, the times you feel like hope, focus, and inspiration are being drained from your soul, these can be the most nourishing seasons if you use them as a time for meditation on the Lord and His Spirit and His Word. If you allow Jesus to come and walk beside you on that walk of disappointment. N.T. Wright says, Bring your problems, your agonies, on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his wife. Share it in prayer with the stranger on the road who approaches and lean in to listen for his voice, explaining, leaning forwards, warming your heart by applying Scripture to what's going on. What does this look like in our lives? What are some, a few little practical things that we can lean into? Well, one thing I learned from my motorcycle test, from studying it and from doing it, one of the tests at the very end was the swerve and stop. So, what, you know, the first one was like, you know, was to accelerate really fast, to, you know, between like 12 and 18 miles an hour, and then brake really fast. And, you know, like if there's an obstacle or something like that in the road, like stopping really fast. This, then the last one was I, you know, I had to get up to speed and then swerve and stop. But you don't swerve and stop at the same time. You swerve first and then safely come to a stop. I learned that with motorcycle. You swerve, then stop. What does this look like? You swerve. Oftentimes this looks like in, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the disappointment, it's that initial like frustration. Like, I want to yell at my kid. I want to spank the dog. I want to just yell at my wife. I want to you know, beat a kitten. I don't know, whatever it is. You know, I, I want to yell at that coworker. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, I want to fire them. In the midst of it, like there's that fiery moment. But we need to first remember to swerve. Avoid the trap. Because the trap is to make, a, to make an even worse mistake and to add to our difficulties. So in the midst of that moment, swerve. And, and then stop. Collect your heart. Stop. Come to a stop. Just collect yourself. Collect your heart. Collect your mind. Take an evaluation of your heart and your mind. Take a minute. Just stop speaking. This is something I've been learning with my kids. Like, Don't speak the kid. Listen. Swerve. Stop. So swerve and then stop, and then, then you can reevaluate your trajectory. What's the next step that needs to be hap- what ne- that needs to happen? Right? And then run to Yahweh. Run back to God. Run back to the to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Return. Turn around. Go back to the Lord. Back to the Father's presence. For them it was it was back to Jerusalem. Go and, and go and spend time in the Father's presence. Read, pray, meditate on His Word, sit, take a nap. One of the most holy things we can probably do is to take a nap. Rest. I mean, Jesus did on the boat, right? Right? And then run back to your community. Run back to your brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage you with the, with the words of the Lord. 
It's one thing to think them and to read them. It's another thing to hear them from each other. They ran. Look at this. They were saying like, you know, they're, they're turning in. They're like, hey, you know, stay with us. The night's getting late. You know, come and share a meal with us and stay the night even. Kick, you know, throw up your feet and, and sit a while, right? And then as soon as that happened, they're like, we got to go back. And they said within the hour, they were on the way back to Jerusalem. And they ran back to Jerusalem. They did the whole seven miles and got back to Jerusalem to tell them what had happened. They didn't wait. So I like to, I don't like to call this the, you know, the walk to Emmaus. I love, I love to call this the run from Emmaus. That's the whole point of the story was that God was calling them back. He was entering into their situation and calling them back into fellowship with Him and the church because it's all about the restoration of hope. And because it's about restoring our hope, we can embrace the disappointments as opportunities for faith. When the disruptions of hope, unmet expectations, and disappointments of life and faith come, look to them as opportunities to engage. Put your line in the water. Say yes to God. Stop being faithless and start being faithful. Say yes, I will make a change in my life. I will engage to do things different. How do we do this? One, bear one another's burdens. The Bible says it. Let's do it. We should take it seriously. And not just bear one another's burdens, but be willing to let others bear your burdens. Because I think that's the more difficult thing for us. Number two, invite Jesus into your situation. Let him see He already knows. Name it. Tell him. God, this is the the stuff that hit the fan. And I'm frustrated about it. God can handle your frustration. God can handle your poopy mood. Meditate on his word and spend time in his presence by the Holy Spirit. And number four, grow spiritually. Think about this. This is what Jesus was doing in this time. I think this was one of the most important times in the church that that Jesus was investing in Mary and Cleopas during this time so that they could bring this robust and practical theology of himself back to the church. Because what did he do? This was the first time that Jesus had gone all the way from Genesis to to the end of the the Hebrew, Hebrew Old Testament to 2 Chronicles and showed himself. He created a robust theology of who the Messiah really truly was. He took them through the whole law and the prophets and they brought this back to the church. They brought this robust understanding back to the disciples who were in hiding. God always wants to deepen your faith by breaking bread with you and showing you His goodness. Even, even, and especially in the midst of times of disappointment. These are the times that God wants to work the most. Let Him. Let Him. And make the change. Be willing to say, yes, God, 
I'm willing to give you my time. I'm willing to give you my trajectory. I'm willing to let you guide. I'll put you in the driver's seat. Help me to make the changes that I need to make in order to say yes to you and to pursue joy in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's going to take some of us getting up early in the morning before our families. Getting up and intentionally being spending time in His Word. Spending time in prayer for our family. Changing our mindset of our family and our work and our life. That's where what we do takes root. That's where our understanding of how to live out our faith comes from. Is those times that we spend with God in His presence and in His Word. So what does it mean for you to invite God into that process and grow in your faith? To embrace these times of disappointment as opportunities for God to grow your faith. Jesus, we thank you for this time this morning. God, we pray, Lord, that you would help these things to take root in our lives. It's easy to talk about, difficult to do. So Lord, help us to engage with you. Help us to, to swerve and to stop. To, take that, to have that mental capacity to, to stop in our tracks, knowing that you're walking beside us, and to engage with you, Lord, in these moments of hurt and trial and, and disillusionment and disappointment, so that we can see you in a greater light, so we can encounter the living Christ walking with us every single day of our lives so that we may turn and glorify you, returning to your presence and returning to the community of faith. Lord, be with us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.